want to go on a journey with the disciples and Jesus as they journeyed towards the cross. The disciples and Jesus are on a journey to what they believe is going to be and what the disciples believe is going to be the ushering in of the kingdom they've finally been waiting for. And so they've been hanging out with Jesus, knowing he's the Messiah, expecting something big to happen. And there comes a point in the story where there's a turn. As you read through the Gospels, each one of the Gospels turns towards Jerusalem. And the journey, in many ways, begins. This journey is down a physical road, much like the one you see on the screen here. It's a road that they're walking on together, they're experiencing together, heading up towards Jerusalem. And the disciples with Jesus are following him because he's the Messiah, and they have proclaimed that he's the Messiah. Mark 8, 27 through 30. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he said, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. See, this group of individuals is following the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, who's going to come and who's going to save them. He's going to usher in his kingdom, and we're at a point in the story where it's starting to get really good. But as we begin this journey, what I want to focus on today is the ups and downs and all arounds, and in particular, the emotions that are felt as they begin this process. Emotions that every single one of us in this room can relate to, and emotions that as we walk with them up this road, hopefully every single one of us will understand. As we go with them, hopefully we'll understand them a little bit more than we did when we walked in this room today. There's five particular emotions that we will focus on this evening. The first two of them that we see are fear and sadness. Okay, not necessarily those two emotions. But the emotions of fear and sadness are seen immediately as we start this journey. It's seen because the disciples had no idea what they were about to experience. They were walking with the coming Messiah, with the chosen one, with the king-to-be to usher in his kingdom. And as this journey takes a turn, the first emotion we see is fear. Fear because the process is about to start. Fear because they are following Jesus, and they know they're about to head up to a place that's going to be pretty scary. The turn, particularly in the book of John, happens through a story with a gentleman by the name of Lazarus. You may have heard this story before. But Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples had just come from Jerusalem. And they had run from Jerusalem because Jesus' life had been threatened. And so that road that you saw, they were actually walking down this road. They were getting away. They were fleeing because at this point in Jesus' life, he's not very liked. 
He had challenged the authorities. He had gone after those that were following the law, and he told them they needed to change their minds. He had healed people and been loved by many, which made those individuals who were in charge even that much more jealous. And he'd said the most blasphemous thing of all. He had said that he was one with the Father. And so this group of individuals in Jerusalem has come after him and has threatened his life. They have tried to stone him. And so this journey was one that was going in the opposite directions. And then this turn happens. And it's time to go back. And it's scary. And the disciples very clearly say this. In fact, as Jesus tells them, Lazarus is sick. It's time for us to go back to Jerusalem. They argue with him. They're like, do you understand where we came from? That's exactly where we were. And they just tried to stone you. And you're saying we have to go back there because a friend of yours is sick. And Jesus had told them that Lazarus was sick and he was sleeping. And they actually used that as an excuse. Well, hey, if he's sick and he's sleeping, that's actually good for him. If we just hang out for a little bit, if he sleeps a little bit longer, he'll be all right. Sleep is good. It will heal him. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 no. You must have misunderstood. Lazarus is dead, and I must go to him. And so the journey back to Jerusalem begins, and the disciples are scared. There's fear. You can only imagine what that must have been like. And Thomas speaks up for the group, and he says probably the very thing that they've been thinking in John eleven sixteen, He says to the rest of the disciples, let us go with him then, so that we may die also. As they turn back to Jerusalem, fear is prevalent because they believe they're going to die. They're heading into the hornet's nest, the one place they don't want to be. Emotion number one, fear. Emotion number two that we see through this is as they start heading back to Jerusalem, sadness starts creeping in. Jesus starts saying some funny things. He starts talking about how he's going to die. The exact thing that they were scared of, hey, he's going to die, he starts predicting. He says this in Matthew 17, 22 through 23. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Can you imagine? The very thing they're afraid of, he's predicting. The one they love is saying he's going to die. It had to have made them sad. Their hearts had to have been breaking. Jesus says says this to them in John 16, 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. It was heart wrenching for them. As they're walking along that very road, heading into a place they didn't want to go, Jesus is telling him that the very thing that they fear is about to happen. Emotion number two, sadness. Emotion number three is bewilderment. As he's predicting these things, they don't understand what he's saying. They didn't get what he was talking about. Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And they must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It made no sense to them. It was something that they could not comprehend. 
So much so that we see in this journey that Peter intervenes. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 Jesus, I think you got this all wrong. I really don't think you know what you're talking about. That's not actually what's supposed to happen, and we will not allow that to happen. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, Peter didn't get it. He didn't realize that what Jesus was about to do was something way beyond his comprehension. And it was his earthly feelings that were getting in the way. It was this misunderstanding that had caused him to step in the middle of this and say, Jesus, no, man, I think you've got it wrong. You don't know what needs to happen. I know what needs to happen. And you're supposed to become king, so you're not going to die because I'm never going to let that happen. And Jesus calls it out and says, Satan, get behind me. It's your earthly concerns. It's your safety. It's what you desire that is getting in the way. And Satan is using that as a stumbling block. He's using that to prevent what is truly needed to happen. You see, the disciples had been with Jesus the whole time, and it's hard to comprehend on our end that they didn't understand this. He'd been teaching them and explaining to them what needed to take place. He'd been showing them the way that life was supposed to be, and now they're about to get there, and they just don't get it. Luke 9, 43 through 45. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus had done, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. You see, it was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and yet they were afraid to ask him about it. Mark 9, 30 through 32. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. As we look back on this, it's so easy for us to see what was about to happen. It's clear now, and yet there was no clarity for them, and you can only imagine what it was that they were feeling. This fear mixed with this sadness, mixed with this misunderstanding, this bewilderment. Why was it so incomprehensible for them? George Ladd, in his New Testament commentary, says, Although Jesus had foretold his death, so strange was the idea of a dying Messiah, and so utterly alien was the idea that a cross could play any role in the mission of the Messiah, that the crucifixion of Jesus could mean only the complete disillusionment of his followers. This is what Paul means by the words, Christ crucified is a stumbling block for the Jews. 1 Corinthians 1.23. By definition, Messiah was to be a reigning king, not a crucified criminal. You see, in their mind, as they're walking this journey with him, this was not supposed to be the way that it was. They had not put together the fact that the suffering servant in Isaiah and the prophecies that were meant of the Messiah who was going to come and die didn't click just yet. They were bewildered. They had no idea that this was the way it was supposed to happen. Matthew 26, 53 through 54. Do you think I cannot call on my father, Jesus says, and he will put at once my, at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? 
But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? He was explaining it to them. He was filling them in. And yet they could not handle the reality. In fact, this bewilderment would lead them to a point where they would abandon Jesus, that they would walk away, that they would leave him all alone. And this too, he predicted. John 16, 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. Mark 14, 27 through 28, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Can you imagine that? Can you put yourself in their shoes? As they're journeying with this man who is the Messiah, who's about to bring the kingdom that they so highly anticipate, he's talking really weird. He's telling them that they're no longer going to be with him that they're going to disappear, that they're going to walk away and that he'll be all alone. Fear, sadness, bewilderment. Jesus continues in Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, we are going to Jerusalem. We're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Matthew 26, 1 through 2, when Jesus had finished all these things that he had said, he said to the disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. They didn't get it. So much so that you see our fourth emotion in the middle of this, and that's excitement. It's hard for us to look and go, how could they be excited in this? He's telling them he's going to die. But see, because they couldn't put the pieces together, they didn't quite get what he was saying, and this man was supposed to bring the kingdom. And so as they're walking up this road to Jerusalem, the kingdom's about to come, and there's this anticipation. There's this excitement because the man that they're with is going to be the king. Yeah, he said he's going to die, but you know, I I don't get it. So let's just forget about that. Let's kind of leave that in the past. Let's focus on what's about to happen, at least what we think is going to happen. And that's that Jesus is going to be king. And this excitement leads them to conversation. And this conversation leads them to start jockeying with each other. Many of you know this story. They start talking about what's going to be like when his kingdom is ushered in. Can you imagine walking up the road to the place where the king sits with what you think is going to be the future king? And you're like the guys that are hanging out with them? It's like if you were with the next president, you knew he was going to be elected, you're about to enter into the White House, and then everything goes boom, and it's not what you thought it was. But the excitement is there, and so you see James and John and their mother. And James and John have gone to their mom and said, hey, you see that guy over there? He's going to be the king. And so when he becomes king, you know what I want to be? I want to be like the vice king. So, hey, mom, can you do us a favor? Can you, like, check out the situation and kind of see what he's thinking about and maybe put in a good word for us? And so in Matthew 20, 20 through 21, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, the mother of James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. 
What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that each of these, that these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom. As we get closer to Jerusalem, the excitement is building. The anticipation is rising because everything they had desired, all of the torment and pain and torture was about to go away and they were going to be with the guy who was going to make it happen. And then it doesn't necessarily go the way that they had thought. It didn't turn out the way that Peter said it was going to. The journey didn't lead to an earthly king. The journey didn't lead to an earthly kingdom. It didn't lead to Jesus walking into Jerusalem and telling all the lawmakers and lawgivers and all of these individuals that he had talked to that, hey, guess what? I'm the king. The excitement had led them to a point where they had thought this was about to happen. And as they get to Jerusalem, what really happens is everything that Jesus had predicted along the way. Instead of sitting in the seat where the king was, he's at his feet. He's being tortured. He's being flogged. He's being mocked. He's being spit on. And his disciples watch this going, what? And it continues to happen the way that Jesus predicted. They run away from him. They leave him alone. They disappear. The shepherd has been beat. And his sheep have disappeared. As we continue on in this journey, we're now at a place in Jerusalem where he's still on that road, but he's in a different place on this road. He's in a place where he's alone. He's in a place where he's been beat. He's in a place where he's now carrying this ugly wooden thing on his back. He gets to the point where he's so weak that he can't even carry it anymore. A perfect stranger that has not ventured with him at all on this journey is asked, can you carry this for him? Will you be the one that walks with Jesus because those that followed him are no longer there. This Messiah that was supposed to be king turns out to be a complete failure. And we see Jesus walking up that road, heading to what really is his final destiny. You see, the king that was supposed to bring his earthly throne that has been abandoned by all of his people is bringing something way better than they could ever imagine. He's bringing a kingdom that will surpass not just Jerusalem, not just the Jews, but it's a kingdom that is open to everybody. A kingdom that won't just save this small group of individuals, but a kingdom that is going to save the world. And it happened in a way that nobody 
ever imagined. As we finish this journey, we come to the point where the cross has been erected. Jesus has been put on this cross. His hands have been nailed to the side. His feet have been nailed to the bottom. He's hanging in agony. He's bleeding because of the flogging that he has taken. Jesus is about to die. As he gets to the final point of life, as he's about to release it all, we see our fifth and final emotion. And that emotion is one of amazement. Mark 15, 37 through 39. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Luke 23, 44 through 47, it was at noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Matthew 27, 51 through 54. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and when he went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When Centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were filled with awe and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The final emotion we see as Jesus gets to the end of his journey comes from a place that we never expected. It comes from Gentiles. It comes from Roman soldiers. It comes from centurions who were standing at the base of this cross. And as Jesus breathed his last, they said, surely this man was the son of God. The journey began with the disciples following the Messiah who was to bring his kingdom. And the journey ends with the Messiah bringing his kingdom. I think many of us can understand these emotions. In fact, as we think about our spiritual journey with Jesus, we can relate to each one of these steps that the disciples and the centurion went through. As we begin our spiritual journey with Jesus, one of the first emotions that we experience is fear. When we start walking with Jesus, the question is, what is this going to be like? As we start down that road, we wonder, what is he going to ask of me? What are the expectations? What does my life have to look like? What does it mean to really follow the Messiah? That fear can very easily turn into sadness as we realize what it means to follow Jesus. You see, there's a cost to following Jesus. Jesus himself said, count the cost before you come after me. The cost of the disciples was losing him, and the sadness that was seen was the understanding that Jesus was going to die. And Jesus says to us, as you follow me, as you come after me, as you step through that fear, 
I had to die for you and know that I ask the same of you. And when you follow him, there can be sadness. There can also be bewilderment because as you get on that journey, you sit there going, wait a minute. This isn't exactly the way I thought it was going to go. This isn't what I expected. It's a lot different than I anticipated. It's a lot harder than I thought it was. And I don't quite see how all the pieces fit together. But as you further on journey with Jesus, as you go farther, you start sensing the excitement. Because what he's asking you to do may not make sense now, but as you continue on into it, it does make sense and your life starts changing. And the fact that he's the Messiah comes clearer into picture. And what he wants for your life is something that now you have to tell everybody about because your life is changing. You're different. You're not who you were before. And you know what? Jesus is not exactly what I expected him to be. He's way better. And the last emotion we experience as we journey with him is seen at the foot of the cross. As you see who Jesus is, as you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, as you see how he puts all the pieces together and how he moves and how he changes lives, as you see that Jesus is what he says he is, that he is the Messiah. But all we can do is stand at the foot of, cross, foot of the cross in amazement that truly he is the Son of God, that truly he is what he says he is. Fear, sadness, bewilderment, excitement, and amazement. So today, on Good Friday, as we are here together, I want us to be here in amazement. I want us to stand here looking at this cross, understanding that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah. Truly, he is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Now, Lord, there was a journey to that cross full of all sorts of different emotions. A journey that mimics our journey with you, Lord. That as we venture down that road, as we experience the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the unknown, that we see with clarity that you are who you say you are. That, Lord, we know that you are the Son of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. We give you praise. We stand in amazement. In Jesus' name, amen.